But that's the way it is. We look at kids and think, why are they like that? Why are they so self-centered? But if we are honest with ourselves, aren't we as adults very similar? How many of us have ever purchased something that we don't really need? How many of us have more than one of a certain item? And to take it even further, how many of us have more than one of a certain item that we didn't really need in the first place? Now, we're not talking about things that are necessary. We're talking about things that we just want. Sometimes we get our necessities and our wants confused. Still, there's nothing wrong with having things. If there is, I'm in serious trouble. I have a lot of things. I'm very particular with my things. I sometimes, well, most all the time, go to extreme measures to take care of and keep my things nice. But still, I have a lot of things. It's a natural occurrence because not only do we purchase things for ourselves, through the years, people give us things. We have birthdays, Christmases, anniversaries, Mother's Days, Father's Days, and other occasions that friends and family members shower us with gifts. And as time goes by, these gifts or things have the tendency to grow and accumulate. After all, we don't want to get rid of that get rid of something that we paid hard-earned money for, and we don't get, want to get rid of something that someone special gave us. So there we are. We've got things all over the place. We've got things on top of things. But if you have reached a certain age, and you have been in a certain place long enough, and for whatever reason you have to move, you will undoubtedly ask yourself this question. How did we accumulate so much stuff? This brings us back to the original question. What is it in life that makes you feel important or needed or necessary? The problem is we try to answer that question and feel that need with things. Perhaps we feel the more things we have, the more important we become. Maybe we think that things give us prestige or power. Perhaps we look at other people with numerous possessions and we are impressed, so we desire the same things for ourselves. Maybe self-image is way too important in our minds. Now some of you are in the stage of your life where you are working and building and striving to accomplish certain goals, to raise and provide for your family, to, give, to put a roof over their heads, and to give them things when it is necessary or when it is appropriate. There is certainly nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that is our responsibility. Others of you, like me, have lived long enough to realize that as wonderful as certain things are, because of what they are and because of who gave them to you, those things are not really what gives you a sense or purpose or makes you feel important or complete that sense of belonging. So what is it? What does satisfy that longing desire? It's relationships. 
It's being with, sharing, communicating with, and loving other people. I promise you, if you live long enough, there will come a time in your life when every possession you have will mean little or nothing. I watched my dad as he literally dwindled away the last year of his life. There was nothing that he owned or ever had owned that really mattered anymore. Have you ever just given away something that at one time you thought you couldn't live without? Consider a Solomon, a man who said, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10. Notice the words I and my in that one verse. Solomon is admitting his self-centeredness. See, Solomon had the position, the power, and the finances to secure any and everything his heart could want. He denied himself of absolutely nothing. Later in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8, he made this statement. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life is not about things, it's about relationships. The most crucial being our relationship with God. As Solomon so pointedly put it in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6 and 7, Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Remember who? Remember God. When? Before you are old and it's too late. Jesus was once asked what the greatest commandment was. He replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Mark 12, verse 30. What does that leave out in your relationship with God? Nothing. What else is there? How much more can you love? You can't. Once we as feeble-minded human beings realize that, our lives will become a lot easier and more simple. Now, in order for us to develop that relationship with God, we have to know Him, we have to know what He has done for us, and what He has promised us if we are faithful. And the only way we can know that is through a lot of study, hearing his word taught in Bible classes, and also what is proclaimed from the pulpit. God is not going to zap us with a knowledge of him. After Jesus made that statement about God in the very next verse, he said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. How much do you love yourself? What will we not do for ourselves? Surely Jesus didn't mean that, or did he? We've all heard lessons on who is our neighbor. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verses 30 through 37, demonstrates that point very well. Our neighbor is anyone we come in contact with 
or have the opportunity to help. Yes, even the ones we don't particularly like. But the point I want us to focus on considering the, sacred, the second great commandment is our relationships, not so much with our neighbors per se, but with our brethren. As we walk this earth, we have the opportunity to forge all kinds of relationships with all kinds of people. In my 52 plus years at the shop, I have met and become friends with a lot of different people. Even the ones that for whatever reason might be, I can't call my brothers. There are a lot of people that are kind and considerate, that I trust and hold in high esteem, even if we don't share the same religious values. I'm sure you know people like that also, but there's always a sharp contrast when you hear the word but. Some Bible verses start with the word but. It's the same situation here. Yes, we do have and we should have relationships with various people. Otherwise, how can we teach them? But it is not and should not be the same as the relationship we share with our fellow Christians. If it is, there's something wrong on our part. Christian with other Christians should be the greatest relationships we share on this earth. Why? Because as Christians, we share the same common values and goals. That's what relationships are built on. Common goals and values. I look back to my best friend in high school. Let's be honest. When we are in high school, even if we are Christians, that is probably not where our emphasis and focus is on. The closest relationships we have are with the people we have the most things in common with. My best friend and I both loved basketball. We might even have been addicted to it. It didn't matter what day it was, what time it was, if we were in the gym or the backyard. Give us a ball and it was on. Through the years, our relationship has grown, even though basketball is over and we don't see each other much. He is now a preacher and an elder in the church, and I have the deepest respect and love for him. We look in Acts 2 at the early church. Verse 42 reads, And they continued steadfastly. The English Standard Version says they devoted themselves in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If someone continues steadfastly or devotes themselves to something, they take it pretty seriously. Who does they represent? If you back up to verse 41, we see that they are those who gladly received his word and were baptized. So they were baptized believers. If you back up further to verse 5, we read, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Imagine that, men from every nation under heaven who did not know each other, yet, very, yet something very significant happens. Verses 38 and 32. 
Verses 37 and 38 tells us they had been convicted of their sins and had repented and been baptized. So what teaching were they continuing in? Obviously, it had something to do with their relationships where they're now brothers and sisters in Christ. Because verse 44 reads, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Continuing on in verse 45, And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. From these verses, we can see what having a common goal and thought between brethren can do. We don't know how much time had elapsed from verse 41 to verse 42. We don't know how much additional teaching they had received. We don't know how long they had been Christians. The Bible often does not re reveal time to us, but we do know what they did. A powerful example of how a common goal can affect relationships. All of us who are baptized believers have something in common with each other. The eternal promise we will receive if we remain faithful, but before that, here on earth, the chance to be examples to each other, the opportunities to support, aid, and encourage each other, to help relieve each other's burdens, and to just enjoy each other's company. Granted, we will not be as close to all as we are to some because of personality and other differences. Even Jesus had his favorites. We see where Jesus had Peter and James and John at certain events that the other disciples were not. John 21:20 20 tells us that Peter looked back and saw the disciple that Jesus loved. We know Jesus loved all his disciples, but it's obvious that some were closer than others. It's only natural to be and feel closer to some people, but we should have good Christian-based relationships with all our brethren. And some of those relationships will be as close as a relationship can be. In other words, the best of friends. Proverbs 17, 17 reads, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The friendships and relationships we develop with our Christian brethren will often be more stronger and closer than our physical brothers and sisters. As already stated, not all of these relationships will be the same. Proverbs 18:24 confirms this with these words. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Who are your closest and dearest friends? If they are not Christians, why are they not? Fellowship or relationships in Christ are essential. Ephesians 1.3 reads, Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We know Christ died for all. We know that God sent Jesus to the earth to save the world, John 3:16. But God does not offer the same blessings to those who have not accepted and conformed to his will. 
Heaven is not an open door policy. There are stipulations and requirements that every Christian must adhere to in order to secure their place in heaven. It takes commitment and willpower to be a Christian. See, fellowship in Christ is not just a frivolous social gathering. It should be the focus for everything we do. We should look forward to each and every time the church gathers, not only to worship our God and our Creator, but to associate with and to give and receive encouragement from our dearest friends. Once we truly realize who Jesus is and what He has done for us, then we will no longer see our brothers and sisters as mere acquaintances, but as our fellow heirs and closest friends. They are no longer just someone we know, but an integral part of and motivator in our service to God. Not only are relationships with our brethren a good thing to be desired, it is mandatory for salvation. We cannot enter heaven if we are not in a covenant relationship with God, and the Bible clearly teaches us that we cannot be in the proper relationship with God if we don't have the proper relationship with our brethren. 1 John 4.20 tells us we cannot love God whom we have not seen if we don't love our brethren whom we have seen. And if we say we do, we tell a lie. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, verse 23 and 24, to not come to worship and bring our offerings if we are at alt with a brother or sister. We need to reconcile that relationship before we attempt to worship God. God will not be pleased or accept our worship if we have aught with any of our brethren. Let's be honest. We all know someone who has left a congregation because of ill will or harsh feelings between them and someone else. That is not the attitude that a Christian should have. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 4 reads, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The proper relationship with our brethren is not something that is suggested. It is a commandment. If our fellow Christians are people we don't like or get along with, then whom will we associate with in heaven? Who do we think will be in heaven? God's church will be the ones who inherit heaven. God is not going to usher in a whole new group. Adversaries on earth do not equal fellowships in heaven. The truth is we won't get to heaven with that attitude. Relationships with our brethren not only are necessary, encouraging, and enjoyable, they allow us to feel secure. Ever watch the news? How does it leave you feeling? If you're like me, it's depressing, discouraging, and it makes you angry. 
Too much of the news can leave you in despair. But it's the total opposite feeling when we gather with our brethren. Ever had a brother or a sister say just the right thing at just the right time? Or maybe not say anything, but just be there. Ever notice when you are aware of a brother that is struggling with some sort of situation and you do your best to comfort and console them that you walk away feeling uplifted? Do you find yourself looking forward to seeing certain of your brethren at each gathering? Do you look forward to smiles on certain faces even to the point that you are disappointed if for whatever reason they are not there? You should. Ever had a big old bear hug from Tony Creek more? I love you, brother. Sometimes we don't even realize how much we depend and rely on our brethren. Foolishly, we take them and our relationships for granted. When we do this, we are hurting ourselves because as humans, we need to feel that someone here on earth really cares. We need the security we receive from the relationships we share as Christian brothers and sisters. Finally, we as humans are by nature social creatures. We don't like or want to spend long periods of time all alone. And without a doubt, we are influenced by the people we associate with. Associations either make us stronger or weaker, more godly or more worldly. 1 Corinthians 15.33 reads, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Through our relationships, we teach, encourage, and exhort each other. The question is, what are we teaching and what are we being taught? That depends on whom we are with. Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13 reads, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Being a Christian and living the Christian life is not easy. We need all the help we can get. We need all the Christian relationships that God has afforded us through His church, especially those near and dear to us. 1 Peter 1.22 reads, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Christian relationships are what bridges the differences between all brothers and sisters. God designed His church not only so we could worship Him, but also that we could love, encourage, and associate with one another. If you are not a Christian, you cannot know and fully understand the relationships that are common between yourself and other Christians. You don't share the bond and the goal that really is what the relationship is built on. You can't call all these people your brothers and sisters. And if you can't call these people your brothers and sisters, you can't call God your Father. If this is where you find yourself, or if there is something amiss in your life, maybe there's a conflict between you and someone else. 
If in any way we can help you, would you please come now as we stand and sing?